Welcome to the New Mana Podcast, an Arch KCK production. Welcome back to New Mana, your newest favorite Catholic podcast on the Holy Eucharist. My name is Lee McMahon, your host, and I serve as consultant for evangelization at the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas. But don't be fooled. If you've got a pulse, this podcast is for you. If you are hungry for more, if you are fed up with the empty promises of the world, Jesus has more for you. We have been called the communion in Christ. We've been given the mission of bringing people to Jesus and bringing revival to the church. So our title, New Manna, comes from John 6:58. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not such as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. Come on, Jesus. You are the new manna. You are the bread of life. And Jesus, you give yourself totally to us in the Holy Eucharist. So today is a pretty special episode. This is, I think, episode either 37 or 38. And guys, we are in your favorite classroom in the whole wide world. Definitely a classroom. Yes. (laughs) Mr. Doug Lycom Jr. is with us. Hi, Mr. Doug. Hello there, Lee. How are you today? I'm great, great. We're joined also by Mr. Doug Lycom Sr. Mr. Senior Doug, how you doing? Good afternoon, Lee. <laughs> Great to see you again. Yeah, so we we got a father-son <clears throat> combo going on, and Mr. Doug Lycom is a theology teacher for, is it 7th and 8th or just 8th grade? Yeah, the middle school is 7th and 8th here. At Holy Spirit Catholic Church in Overland Park, and we are currently doing this live in front of the bestest, coolest, awesomest... 8th grade only. 8th grade class in the whole world. Um yeah, everyone's looking at us super awkward because they're like, what are you doing in our class, you bald man? It's lots okay. of giggles. Uh, lots of giggles there. So uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about Doug and Doug's stories of falling in love with the Lord. And also, we're going to tap into a new papal document today. It's not just a papal document. It's an apostolic constitution. It is Sacrosanctum Concilium. Concilium. Straight out of E2. Man, I'm, I really got to work on my Latin. <laughs> It's okay. Anyway, this document is one of the four apostolic constitutions from Vatican II. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about Vatican II. We'll tell you why this document is important. And we're just going to take, you know, a few minutes to talk about our greatest hits from this uh, pretty stellar document. So without further ado, uh, let's start with the elder. Who is Doug Lycom Sr.? Doug Lycom Sr. is a cradle Catholic. Um, Grew up north of Chicago. Are you a Cubs fan? Or a Sox fan. I'm a Sox fan. That's okay. Yeah. It's all right. Uh, it's all right. We're cool. It's okay. Yeah. I've been to a Cubs game. You, you've been. I've been. <laughs> there you go. So you grew up in North Chicago. Yes. Okay. Tell me more. Near Mundelein Seminary. Okay. Yeah, strangely enough, my grandfather was the chief of police in Mundelein. No way. Yeah. Way. <laughs> way. Very 40 cool. years worth. Your grandfather or your dad? My grandfather. Okay. On my mother's side. Okay. My first communion, I remember very importantly because I didn't get to have it with all the rest of the kids in, in town mm-hmm. and school kids. I unfortunately, well, maybe fortunately, had mumps, which was a really? illness. They kept you way away from everybody except mom and your dad. That's it. Mm. So I got to go about 40 days later, and I thought it was pretty special that uh, so many people were there supporting me. I was yeah. in a big church. and. Yeah. Really enjoyed that. that That's kind of like rabies, something. isn't it? Like rabies, very similar. <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke for everybody listening. So you grew up in North Chicago. Your first communion was beautiful. Yep. You got mumps. And mm-hmm. was this around the same time that you got mumps? Yeah, well, the first communion was after I cleared up from mumps, yes. Gotcha, mm-hmm. gotcha. How long of a process was that? I've never known anything. Two months. Oh, man. Two months. Wow. That was great. I didn't have to go to school. Right? <laughs> and that was before Zoom class and all that. Fun stuff. Mm-hmm. So Zoom. Okay. What's that? Exactly. Right. Taking your homework home. Mm-hmm. Nice. What's, is, ho- what's homework? Yeah, this is back when they still were using parchment. So <laughs> papyrus. So <laughs> that's true. My my bigger change happened after my first retreat, adult retreat, which was in about 1997, 1998. Okay. Uh, and shortly after that, I realized I needed a special place to go and receive more personal prayer time. Uh, with Jesus. Okay. And I started looking at Holy Trinity where I'm, I'm a parishioner and an employee uh, for an hour to just go be with Jesus. Uh, and it took some time. It was hard coming up with an hour. Those people didn't really want to give them up. And mm. I really wanted a space where I could be by myself with him. You wanted your own time. My too. own time. And, and I took some later time when 
sometime best I can figure, I've been 23, 24 years in the same hour, and now it's two hours. Hey, uh, nice. To spread things out over the evenings. Can't get enough. Can't get enough. What's your hour? 10 to 12 o'clock on Saturday nights. Okay. Uh, so you're, you were working, so you, you work at Holy Trinity now? So I do, yes. Yeah, so I'm a maintenance the, manager there. So you run the place, basically. No, I mean, no, you got no, father no. and stuff, but you basically, yeah. you, mm-hmm. you keep the buildings upright and whatnot. Well, father keeps them upright, yeah. Right. <laughs> Too many key rings. Lots of keys. Lots of keys. The guy with the keys has got the power. Mm. The real power. Bring it mm. down. So, Doug Lycom Jr., Mr. Doug. Mr. Lycom, sorry. I'm trying to honor your authority in this room. Mr. Lycom, tell me about your season of life. Who are you? Yeah, concurrently, my season in life is, praise the Lord, as a man, a father, a husband, but also a teacher and someone who's helping out at the parish, Holy Spirit. And uniquely, uh, my story of falling in love yeah. with our Lord took flame as my father's faith was taking flame. Yeah. As a young child, seeing your dad, looking up, emulating him, uh, was so exciting. You grew up in some senses seeing your, your father, uh, as somewhat of a superhero, but I realized quite on early in life that there's life happenings with Mm. not just acts of God, but you see the suffering, you see the realities of others around you. And we were, as a family, uh, faced with a pretty big, as, as a child growing up, as my dad come off his retreat, the kind of, was his reversion to, yeah. to wanting to have a relationship with Jesus, take priority. We had uh, a life situation that affected my faith. And it was kind mm. of a catalyst for my love of the Lord in a way that started out really humble and simple as a child. Uh, uniquely, my mother was sick and was dealing with some blood clotting. And I remember as a, as a young kid in the, the late 90s, after class, after the bell would ring, I would get in my dad's car. He would drop us all off at all the various things. But my, my dad would then take us in his big green van uh, to see my mom at the hospital for months on end. And uniquely, sometimes when my dad was done putting us to bed, having dinner, taking us to sports, my dad also coached soccer at the same time all this was happening. I have no clue how that mm. That worked out. The Pirates were 6-0. and That was that was incredible. Right on. Uh, he would then go visit his wife who's in the hospital, mm. taking care of the littles, and then seeing how his his bride, his beloved, who he'd been married to for, uh, I mean, almost 20 years at that point, was doing. And it, there were some bleak times. Yeah. Really not knowing if my mother, Lynn, would, uh, would make it. And I remember uh, after these events of my dad taking me to visit my mom in the hospital. Sometimes he would take us to the place where he found his own little me time with Jesus. Yeah. And as this young man of five and seven, soon to be eight, uh, we would go to the back of Holy Trinity's large church, beautiful there in Lenexa, but they had this, what was also a crime room at the time, which <laughs> was the Adoration Chapel. And Adoration oh, nice. for us as Catholics is such a beautiful thing where we get to behold and adore what we believe is is uh, uniquely our Lord, body, blood, soul, and divinity there in the monstrance. It's yeah. uh, one of those consecrated hosts that is uh, shown for us to adore and have devotion with. Right. And as a little kid, I had no clue what was going on because I had just visited my dad uniquely in the hospital. I saw him uh, taking care of his wife, but in tears. And now we were in adoration at like eight or nine, 10 o'clock at night. And there's this golden shiny thing. Mm. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, mom's sick. You're not at the hospital. Yeah. We're here before this, this monstrance, which I was told what, what was. I didn't really right. know. My dad, I think, eventually pointed it out to me. And I was struck, like, why are we doing this? And I, I remember sitting behind my dad. I was restless. Little kids are always restless, kind of like they my are? own kids. Oh, <laughs> Lee, man. Are they? I'm just saying. You. I have yeah. three littles. We both have three littles, and we understand. Mm. At the time. They're crazy. Jumping off rug rats. cabinets and yeah, yeah. It's just last Tuesday, little Micah jumped off the top cabinet. This is my the top cabinet, and took a crucifix with him, and both hands of Jesus fell off when he hit the ground. Mm-hmm. It was great. the mo- The movement and the never settling. Little kids are all about that. But I was a little kid in adoration. Yes, and I was moving all around, and I just saw my dad kneeling and crying, mm. not really knowing what to do. At that point, we had. Uh, my two sisters and my two cousins that had come to live with us. Yeah. Um, and so he was taking care of five young children and 
seeing my dad, the person who I looked up to being this former college football player, being like my like hero on his knees, like it made me realize the seriousness of the moment, like is mom going to make it? But also why are we here mm. amidst the presence of what he says is Jesus? Um, and he said, please just simply pray. He didn't like give me a long explanation yeah. of what was going on. He didn't share all of those details or stories. He just, I saw from his presence, he was kneeling in prayer, weeping, and it kind of had this effect on yeah. me. I was in the presence of my dad doing something, but then I realized there was this other presence uh, there wow. in the Lord. And it it was such a uh, turning point. Um, so literally just being in your dad's presence in the Lord's presence, you know, obviously you were, you were there and the thing that hit you wasn't the Lord's presence. It was your father's presence, his physical witness to the reality that was actually present in the room, AKA, I mean, capital R reality that something unlocked for you. Very evidently. Yeah. yeah. His presence allowed me to then understand the sacramental mystery of the real presence. Mm. And that unfolded itself over the next five or seven years. So uniquely. Wow. Wow. So Lynn, beautiful name, by the way, mm. how, you know, she's still with us. What, you know, how the, go ahead. Yeah. Praise the Lord. After many searches for great surgeons, they found some help with Mayo Clinic and a few other places and they go. found a surgeon willing to kind of do a new type surgery at the time to help the clotting in her brain. And it evolved seeing a lot of things up through her brain and eventually relieving the clotting and it was such a gift to have the immediate danger of our, yeah, of our loved one out of the way. Wow. We cried. We, we danced for joy, and the community of Holy Trinity was above and beyond so amazing with helping us with the five kids and <clears throat> their love. They they know how to grieve and mourn and pray for people, mm. and so I think that made an effect on my dad and everyone else. All the, I can remember all the parents of those around us helping come together in this time. Yeah. Yeah, we had one one major problem Lee, during this period is I had to find homes for meals. Mm, right, <laughs> too many meals. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, yes, too much food. Too much food. Stop bringing. We had food. a deep freeze. It was yeah packed. Yeah, <laughs> and as a result, like we had this whole tone of gratitude enter our lives mm. in a great way. We were on our knees thanking God, and I think at that point we made the commitment to continuing our adoration and prayer and thanks of God. Yeah. And it got to the point where I wanted to then go thank Jesus for a prayer answered in some small way. Yeah. And it was also great that my dad would always offer at the end of a Saturday, we'd be watching whether that's college football or whatever. It used to be like deadliest catch on Saturday nights. Let's go. Yes. Come yes. on. Deep out there in the Alaska Bearing wilderness. Straight. Yes. But he would offer like, you can either go to bed or you can stay up and go to adoration with me. And I was like, Gaunt, yes, completely. Room. Come on. I will happily uh, stay up late, miss my bedtime, and go to adoration. Yes. My sisters sometimes took us up on the offer. Uh, they then fell asleep in adoration, which we all fell asleep Staying in adoration. Staying up late, Jesus in the Eucharist, and King Crab. I mean, come on, does it get any better? I mean, yes. it's a great trifecta. Cool. It's not a bad thing to necessarily fall asleep in adoration if it's not falling asleep and Jesus is talking to you. Right. Yeah. I mean, Jesus said, come to me, all you are weary and heavy burdened. I'll give you rest. I, I took that very literally in college. I would go to the chapel because it was actually a quiet place and I would go and sleep. I would take naps in the chapel at KU. Yes. Yeah. Uninterrupted too. I remember that St. James Chapel of quite often, if you go to St. James Academy out there in Lenexa, you'll find some of the students there. Yeah. In between passing periods, they might be asleep a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's reality. Low key. Um, so you, um, you have this moment where your dad, you know, he asks, hey, you can either go to bed or stay up and go to adoration with me. And it kind of just blossomed from there, that, that lived relationship with, with the Eucharist. Is that? Yeah. It was this school of silence. So mm. I left off in a seven-year-old not knowing what the monstrance was, but slowly as you spend hours in a chapel, you start to notice all the little details. As a little kid, you're very attentive to looking at the things around you. So I noticed the monstrance, I noticed the lights, I noticed the, the, the red candle that indicates the presence of our Lord, right. the Paschal, uh, beautiful candle that when he's present, they always have lit. Right. I noticed the books on the counters, I noticed even all the people who come in and how they pray. And you're just kind of trying to absorb 
these things. And eventually yeah. you got the habit. My dad would have his rosary beads out, I noticed. Mm. So I tried, maybe I'll pray a rosary. Mm. And then I'd fall asleep. This is as young, eight, nine-year-old. And then I saw other people sharing prayer requests as they would come in at the beginning right. of the hour, end of the hour. And I'm like, okay, so we can offer our prayers for other people. So then I would take my so-and-so. My friend Michael has this this thing going on. My friend Matthew has so many things I could offer in prayer. So I'd sure. take those prayers to the Lord. Yeah. Uh, but I was still kind of lost. An hour in silence yeah. is a lot. And so there was tried attempts. And then I think the best part of being a little kid, not knowing what to do with yourself in boredom in some ways, yeah. is you come to a breaking point. Like you ask the question, what next? Like, what is this? Yeah. And it allows you then just to sit. And I think when you're not then actively thinking, going through all these details, you finally mm. realize maybe other things are, are supposed to be yeah. be shared or you, you should be listening to those around you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was the start of a relationship where I could talk to God conversationally, just like I would with my father yeah. or others. Uh, and so I would put on my heart all of these things yeah. uh, as a young boy. And I knew I had to continue to be growing on the path, having these hour upon hour each week with the Lord. I I saw so much of what was around me in the daily life as those who were actively living it out their faith or those who uh, in some senses were, were kind of being drawn away, kind of not detached from the world. And they would focus on whatever was common. And this growing into middle school and high school was so much, such a hard thing in my own heart, uh, seeing those who are inauthentically living their faith. Yeah. And so I would take this to adoration. Like, why do people do this? Or I see them at mass, but then I see the way they behave right. in the class or at, on the sports field or other things. Like, you say you believe this, but it hasn't yet been transformed in some way. I hadn't right. seen that. And I was trying to, like, how can I help others? How can I take the next right step? Yeah. And helping. And all this began to form just because I, I was in silence and I, I had to talk to God about it. Right. Uh, and it was such a gift. And then I remember if I'm not transforming myself, I think it was the first second switch where like, unless I had made the commitment yeah. to getting better myself and treating others well, then why should, would I judge others? Or right. I'm not supposed to judge others, but like, how would I get this? And this was a, a young man trying to think through all these things. And so I said, what's the first thing I do? And I looked at the bookshelf in the Adoration Chapel one Sunday night. I'm like, what's the biggest book I can read? And it was kind of a big The big biggest challenge. book in the Adoration Chapel. Hmm. Was it a missile? It was not a missile. Was it the catechism? It was the catechism. Let's go. Yes. The CC, the big cat, as we call it in class. Big cat. And so I attempted as a seventh grader to just open and read the catechism front to back, which is the catechism is one of the amazing teaching documents of our faith. For those listening in, I'm sure some, many, if not all of you have heard of this, but yeah. to kind of unpack it, it's a gift that was given by John Paul II in 1992 to the universal church. It's the second universal catechism or book of teaching right. of our faith. And as I was trying to stumble through it, not realizing what half of these words meant, because I was horrible in yeah. English and spelling, and I was like, what does this word mean at all? Yeah, I would have to consult the index in the back of the catechism. I have to like look through these things. And I finally made the commitment to read through the whole thing in adoration. Um, you, did, you read through the whole catechism in adoration? It was... I believe you, but like, wow. A goal and hard. And I remember one night I was so, so upset. Like you would think this is hilarious. Um, <laughs> Deacon Dana Niermeyer is amazing for all of the great things he's done for our diocese. Big shout out. Um, St. James setting up camp. Yes. It's a huge gift in the catalyst of conversion in our, our diocese. And I remember he brought the singer, like this amazing singer, Matt Maher, to Holy Trinity to do a concert and it was all Saturday evening concert. And there I was a seventh grader and he had all the youth ministries, all the parishes, all the whole diocese invited. Mm-hmm. And Matt Marr was doing this concert in the church. And I was the cranky seventh grader in the adoration chapel in the cry room, upset that this amazing singer was giving his all blaring it out for the Lord. And I'm like, I can't read my catechism right now because the reverberation Who of the is bass this guy? was like shaking the adoration chapel. I don't know if you remember that dad. Do I you? Do. For those in the audience who might not know who Matt Maher is, one of the biggest contemporary Christian singers as well as he's a Catholic. And I was just upset that like, why would all these people be doing this when I'm in here reading the catechism? And I I had this own conversion of life that I hadn't had yet, Mm. realizing what was going on in the gift 
of praise, the gift of loving the Lord was an element. I was just getting into my head knowledge. This was seventh grade. Seventh grade. You're mad at Matt for, you know, doing his thing. I get it. And what happens? I think I then got to witness the Lord's providence over the next 10 years of realizing um, God has given every person a talent. They're sharing these gifts. They give back to him. Yeah. Uh, And I was exposed then for the first time later on at St. James uh, to praise and worship and why people would give their hearts and sing to the Lord in an overt way. Yeah. I'm like, why shouldn't you just be kneeling down silent before the Eucharist? Right. Which was what my relationship to that Lord at that point was. Um, right. And I can definitely say me and my dad over time have had a love and a now more of a love of uh, the gift of <clears throat> praise and song yeah. in prayer. Yeah. I mean, Jesus, he wants not just our souls. Like he wants our bodies because that's, that's who we are. Our bodies will composite, right? Um, it, it's so funny because sometimes we find ourselves in just like one of these camps, like we're just all one and not so much the other, but you think about it like this whole this whole sense of like giving the Lord our all is the most original like Catholic concept. It's like that's what Acts of the Apostles was. Like that's what happened at Pentecost. These dudes are speaking in new languages up on their feet, praising the Lord, doing all sorts of crazy things. Like people are thinking this these dudes are just drunk. In the temple, man. In yeah, like what like what's going on here? Like this was twenty four seven. Twenty four seven. Like this is normal. This is good. Um but yeah, we need we need context in every in every uh, every degree so that we don't scandalize and cause people to trip up and I would like get stuck. To, I'd like to interject something. This is please do. Uh, I'm with a new mission here called Encounter, mm. and one of the beautiful things that Encounter has uh, helped me with greatly is this idea of praise and worship um, music. I have never been super big into that necessarily. I've listened to it on different radio stations and enjoyed it greatly and it's meant something to me and yes from time to time I have played music and adoration for myself Uh, but I'm giving this period of time before we have our class time and it's just the sweetest most wonderful time and all the kinks inside of me go and all the stresses of the day just go bye-bye and (laughs) everything is just wonderful and I know right where I'm at yeah You've got to give it up. And yeah. That homework assignment two weeks ago they gave us to pick out some more music and mm. listen to it heavily during the week. It hasn't stopped. Yeah, let's it's strange. Go. I was away uh, last week with my mom and dad in Tampa, and I'm listening to my music. Mm. They didn't want it to stop. Yeah. It was cool. Yep. So you found the Lord in the catechism, and yeah. then and then here you so are. So praise the Lord. I knew in confirmation this great strengthening of the Holy Spirit, the sacrament of the church right. that they bestow in our diocese here in the archdiocese uh, around those in eighth grade, those typically 14 years of age. I mm. knew in preparing for this, this wonderful sacrament that I needed to be uh, transformed in a greater way, that the Lord wasn't just a weekly thing, a check-in on Saturday and yeah. Sunday, but would be a part of my life eternally. And so I made the commitment mm. um, to find the best high school or the best uh groups of friends I could, uh, but also to make getting to the Eucharist, that source of grace, that, that, that river of glory, the fount and source of all that is good. Yeah. My daily task. So I, I made the commitment. I wanted to go to daily mass each and every day as a high schooler. Mm. So I'd get up in the morning super early and eat my Eggo waffles Eggo. with peanut butter Lego every single day. Oh dude. I would get up and yes. then I would have my hour, 45 minutes fast before getting to mass. Right. And I made that a priority. Uh, heading in to high school um, where I was then been able to be fostered with the sacraments at St. James. They had just started as a school. Uh, When I was getting in there, I was in year three and so many of the people uh, had put an emphasis on if you'd like to come to mass beforehand, we want it to be there for you. Mm. And I remember the day I stepped foot in to the, the school, both uh, the principal and the president and the teachers all said, the reason we exist is to get you to heaven. And I'm like, well, amazing. This is what confirmation is about. I, I'm sold. I want to go to school here. And yeah. it was hard as a freshman going in and seeing upperclassmen who are so skilled in themselves. Uh, in what way? 
I think just being the everyone has had a time of the low man on the totem pole where uh, they realize they're not yet fully what they'd like to become. Ooh. Incredibly, when you're there in a gas, you're almost attracted to how other people have great gifts and charisms and who they are. Yeah. And you're you're going there. And I was like, I, I, I'm on a journey. I'm not there yet. Uh, but I wanted to go to mass. And I realized it was kind of hard being that one freshman in the only pew at one of the sides of mass, not having friends. Mm. Myself, I felt a little awkward making that a priority. So I was like, I want to then invite anyone I can to go to mass with me. So I don't necessarily feel that same intimidation. Right. Because if you walk into any Catholic mass, and this is what I get now as the RCA director here and uh, adult formation formator, as well as the school teacher at Holy Spirit, many people, when they walk into the mass for the first time, it can be thrown off in the sit, the stand, the, the kneel, the not being yeah. necessarily explained, the liturgy, this this great public worship and gathering. Right. And I think having a friend, having a family member, honestly, like that's how Jesus brought his disciples. Like, find this friend, bring them there. Yep. Bring them along. Like, if we have that more, it's going to help. It helps my RCA candidates when they have someone to go to mass with them. Yep. But also, as a young kid, I wanted someone to go. I didn't want to be alone. I wanted someone to help sort this through with me. Yeah, it can totally be jarring. Totally. Absolutely. Um, but the enchantment factor can be elevated when, you, when you're there with somebody that you do trust. Yeah, for sure. And slowly and being present and you realize not all the, the things are as you thought they were. Your, your life gets reordered. Yeah. Even though I had such a love of baseball, sports and friends and, and learning things, that was my refuge during yeah. high school was this this morning commitment of heading to mass. Yeah. Uh, and it got to the point where you realize they didn't have everything always prepared, whether it was a sacristan or needing readers or gift bearers. And basically I knew from confirmation if I saw a need... I was supposed to help fill a need. Let's go. Like I, there was this evidence. This wasn't happening. It needs to happen. How can I assist? Yeah. It's like what we we teach in charity. One of the virtues of our last month here at Holy Spirit, like that gift of love in the concrete actions of our daily life. And so, I think it pulled me into understanding the mystery of the the sacred liturgy and mass more is uh, being able to read, understanding what the lectionary was, mm. which is for us as Catholics. Uh, this beautiful way in which we approach each and every mass, this continued order of reading. So we don't just have the priest share whatever readings from the scripture he wants right. and preach on. Like the church from the Vatican Council wanted to yeah. lavish upon yes. the whole the exact word. body of Christ, all of the scriptures from beginning to end, all the different books, because there's this, this beautiful connection and thread point that is Christ, the word of God and everything. And so... The lectionary is this cycle. Each day you continue yeah. reading, this continuous reading of God. And it was the first time I was explained what the lectionary was, was at St. James being asked to read because there was no one to do it. Right. Yeah. It's such a great fruit that we have from the Vatican Council, like from the Second Vatican Council, that we have a systematic walkthrough, you know? It's like, guys, it's like waking up and eating dinner first. Like, anybody want that? No. I want my Frosted Flakes, please and thank you. I don't recommend eating Frosted Flakes, but they are delicious. Mm. Dude, Captain Crunch, am I right? Um, Crunch man, berries. now Crunch I'm, berries. I'm, such an, <laughs> I'm such an old person. I, I eat yogurt. Literally, I eat a cup of yogurt. Are you a breakfast. spy, Lee McMahon? My Every spy? spy show I watch, all the spies are eating yogurt. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not a spy. I promise, I promise. Okay. Yeah. Of course, you would say that. Vatican spy. Vatican spy, exactly. Okay. But yeah, I love that. You saw virtue. You were hungry for it. You saw what these older, these upperclassmen had mm -hmm. and you wanted what they had. You saw the, in, the, the incongruency of the fact that people are like professing this at mass, but actually their life is not reflecting that. It has not translated. And you're like, what's going on with that? I'm going to put my anchor in the Lord. And you kept leaning in. And before you know it, you're kind of the, the flex seal guy for St. James. You're the guy who's over there spraying flex seal over here to, to, to patch up that hole. You're saying, there's a need here. I'm going to step in. You know, this is not a leaky boat per se, but I'm going to be willing to help. However, I'm willing, I'm here to serve. So accurate in the ways, mm. what, where can we help? And I think uh, with the liturgy, with other elements of school, it was, is a part of life. And Monsignor Berger, who was our chaplain at the time, mm. Monsignor uh, Ray, he has his brother, the whole Berger family has done so much for our, uh, archdiocese uh, kind of kind of came out of retirement in some ways 
to invest at a new school. I mean, he could have taken the easy ship. He was well over 75, but he He's cruising at this decided point. Yeah. to invest and actually care and get to know people's names. And he would be at every mass every morning. And he took a group of us under his wing and he asked us questions about discernment. And mm. I remember a very unique point at the beginning of the history of St. James Academy. I remember when technology got to the point, they issued laptops and teachers were able to communicate with the students. Oof. And I remember one time the chaplain decided to communicate with all of the students. And he sent this email uh, via study was this software to all the kids. And he says, there's this upcoming discernment retreat for young men considering the priesthood. Are you interested? And there was this feature where you could check, mark the box, yes or no. Mm. And uh, I saw the email come through, but as a young kid, I'm like, I got to get this done. So my baseball coach isn't harping after me. I have to do this. And I saw the email, but I didn't answer it. And I remember it was literally a week later, we get this call over the intercom. Whenever you get an all call over the intercom, people are excited. Uh, until they until they say your name. Until well, Yes, your your name oh, to the no. office right now. Well, yeah. But most of the time they just want to get out of class. Right. So we were happy. They said, right. could all gentlemen please report to the chapel? And I remember, okay, I can, I can do this. I would happily get out of whatever class it was and go to the chapel. Yeah. And as we got there, we saw Monsignor Berger up at the front. And literally by this time, we probably had maybe 100, 150 gentlemen at St. James. And he set us down. He's like, he read off a list of short names. Uh, he said, you gentlemen can leave. The rest of you, I have something to ask you. Mm. And there he said, did you all get my email I sent a week back about the discernment retreat project, Andrew, coming up for those wanting to understand what their vocation is like? And we said yes. And he's like, well, why didn't you choose to respond? And he sent the others who had responded away. And he's like, I don't care whether or not you, this is coming from Monsignor. Gotcha. You ever come to a discernment retreat or care about your faith, but there's going to be points in life that you have to respond. There's going to be things you have to say a yes or a no to. Hmm. You have to, in some ways, man up and, and be, be an adult. And it was powerful. Like the gift of a response, like when there's a reality that needs to be answered, like sometimes we have to give an answer, even though we mm. might not like the answer, we do. But I remember that hit me hard. I was so scared to the point, like, oh man, I didn't even, I just exited out of the email. I didn't respond. And I remember I felt so bad. I'm like, I should go to this Project Andrew thing and see what it's all about. And so I like, okay, I actually will go. And I think it, it helped open the door to the Eucharist in, in another way, going to Project Andrew, seeing the gift of what priests do as they give their self to the ride the church. Yeah. So you went to this retreat out of guilt, and then what happened? Yeah, I went to the retreat. It wasn't super life-changing. Okay. Uh, my life at that point was baseball and mass, mm. uh, and it wasn't until I had to have a sidestep from baseball, which was through my own kind of stupidity. Um, amen on that. Oh, yeah, amen on that. My dad can have some insight. Baseball, uh, baseball was that, my sport. Totally feel that. And you were there at the Free State hitting bombs. Bomb City. Were you a pitcher? Where were you? I was a catcher. Catcher. Man, we were both catchers. Let's what was go. your pop time? Uh, like 1-7. Okay. I, would, I would always advertise 1-9, and I thought I was lying. I think we we're all around 2-1. But as I was in baseball as a young man, it was my life and priority. I wanted to play Division One. My dad shut out way too much money. Thank you for letting me have all those lessons yes. in travel ball and showcases. Um, and it was... In this moment of stupidity where we had this field day at St. James to build community, which is a good thing, have a competition. But I distinctly remember my coach, uh, <clears throat> Coach Bucklin, in all of his glory, reminding his baseball players, do not participate in any of the activities in field day because we have a game today. I don't want you mm -hmm. injured for the game. And I was one of those men who was drawn between two goods. Forbidden fruit. Forbidden fruit, yes. There it is where my teacher, Mrs. Rippey, the chemistry teacher, was my homeroom house leader. And she said, no one else has signed up for any of our events because your homeroom wasn't super good. Yeah, this moment of stupidity. What'd you do? Uh, life at that point was completely around baseball, but though going to mass was an element. Coach Buckland said not to participate in field day. We had a baseball game that day, a road game. And my homeroom teacher, my house teacher, um, asked since no one else had signed up, uh, could you please help do this event? So we have someone from our class representative. And I was like, okay, the unity of the school is a good thing. I'll sign up. Hopefully I won't get hurt. It'll be fine. I looked through the list of events. Uh, and 
I tried to choose the one that was the least effective. There's lots of chaotic games at field day. They right. have, they, in the old days, there were not rules. Like most times, rules are given is because something has happened. Yep. That's what I've learned in my my short short lifetime. And I chose the least what I thought like contact heavy uh, activity, safest activity. Right. Safe it was bet. called like jump the river. It was like just a, <laughs> a long jump. And I remember uniquely, I run up for this jump, and it was like the first time I, I'm like I'm gonna go halfway I'm not gonna do my full commit and I slipped on some grass came down on my ankle and completely fractured multiple bones in my ankle and I'm like oh no in the moment I did I really just do that my life's over I, I, mean, I was supposed to be like the varsity cleanup hitter that day like you you better what clean up is this going to be Let's go. My coach has always got upset for me not producing. But yes, I was <laughs> I was consistently put there for hopes, but not realities. There you go. And uh, as I broke, I'm like, walk it off. And then at a certain point, I couldn't walk it off anymore. Mm. And I had this huge swelling ankle. And there I was forced to tell my coach, tell my family. I didn't jump the river. You didn't jump the river? No. No, that, that's what you said to Coach yeah, Buckland. Well, I couldn't. I wish I would have said that and then refrained, but I told everyone that I wasn't going to participate in field day, and then I let my team down right. by doing that for yeah. trying to please a teacher in the homeroom. And I was in the hospital realizing it was broken. The x-rays confirmed it, and I was out. Then watching my team lose again and again, we lost in regionals mm. to my replacement at the time, had an air, and... That summer, then I had nothing left to do. I was in a cast and a boot. I just had reconstructive ankle surgery where I have some titanium, the wonderful alloy in my ankle. Very strong. And instead of going to play showcase ball or do what else I did that summer, which was would have been helping to raise money to go to school, um, I w- was upset with my life. I'm like, yeah. my priority, passion, desire was to see my brothers have been working for to win a state championship, come together, do that. I, I I let them down, but also, what do I do with this anger? Right. And I made my commitment earlier on to go to daily mass, and now it was in the summer, so I would go to mass at Holy Trinity. So I'd get up with my father, but he would take me before work. My dad kind of got pulled into this one. He would take me a lot of the mornings to the 645, beautiful mass, quiet. So good, so good. And after going to mass, I had nothing to do because I was injured. I couldn't work. I couldn't play baseball. So I, I just would kind of be let there. And there were some days yeah. I took just trying to be in adoration for as long as possible. And it was in those moments where the School of Silence had originally laid roots as a young junior high kid that where in high school hmm. I n- knew just to let open and share with God. So I had had this relationship built. And as I was giving the Lord everything, I was frustrated. If you would have been like walking by the adoration chapel at some of those moments, some of those days that summer, uh, you would have seen like someone actually like, verbally outlet yelled, yelling his frustrations at God. Yeah, like you would have gone by. What is this crazy person doing in adoration? Should I call somebody? Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't until I had not just had a cathartic moment, but shared with God those things time and time again, day after day. Like the frustration. How am I going to get scouted? How are these things going to happen? How am I going to build up my team? Uh, that. I realized I needed to be quiet and finally listen to God mm. and what he had in store for me. And I'd gotten so good at knowing my, what my thoughts were because I would replay them again and again in prayer. Yeah. And then listening, I had this um, trust that finally, after quiet enough, I knew if the thought was of mine or not of mine. Mm. And something kind of sparked at one point where it was like, bring others to the Eucharist. Uh, in the Eucharist to others. It, this was, whereas a 16-year-old young man with a broken ankle in adoration, and I felt this calling from the Lord to bring others to the Eucharist from a young age. And so I'm like, how do I make this a reality? And what does that mean? So I began investigating it even more to the point yeah. where, though baseball was a priority, this now idea to bring others to the Eucharist um, took on a more priority. So I invited my friends to Mass more. I invited them to retreats. I... I wanted them to come to adoration yeah. with me. And the Lord does the rest. And that's what you I, I've learned in RCA. The Lord is working in every person's hearts everywhere at all times. Yep. He's the one drawing us there. 
And as we respond to his grace and send that little invitation, mm-hmm. we're prompting so many things from the Holy Spirit. Right. It's the Lord's Lord's doing. And so I decided um, I wanted to take it more seriously. Um, and you, you ended up going to seminary, yeah? Yeah. After high school, I wanted to serve the Lord and so many amazing people. First of all, Archbishop wanting uh, young men to be ordained priests. He has amazing vocation directors. Uh, we have one now who's Father Dan, uh, but before a few before was Father Mitchell Zimmerman, who's out at KU, and he was Rock inviting Chalk. others in, and he Rock invited Chalk. me in a few. Uh, yes, definitely Rock Chalk. And the amazing gift Archbishop of wanting to form people and having a specific vocation director helps people understand if they're being called. And I knew at the time I needed to experience what seminary was like, not yeah. that I was necessarily called to be a priest. And I loved every moment of prayer in seminary, every time of formation, even the hard parts. In the spirituality year, my fifth year in seminary in John Vianney in Denver, uh, I got into a point uh, where my poverty immersion was, I was being sent out two by two like the apostles, and I was sent to Phoenix, Arizona to Maggie's place where I got to hold babies for um, a few months at a pregnancy shelter. It was the first time I've ever oh, wow. personally got to like help care and babysit uh, others. And as I was coming mm. back from seminary, um, I was like, Lord, why did you send me here? What is your reason like for having me? I had read Abandonment to Divine Providence. That's a banger uh, for sure. As well as a few other books from Walter Chiswick, like With God in oh. Russia or a few others talking about in every moment, God has a plan and a story for you. And so I was taking this serious. Like, why, Lord, would you send me to this place where I got to help minister to mothers in need and their children and see the lack of, of fathers in their life? And it made me really think, like, Lord, why are you doing this um, in my life to where I have to think about these things? I don't want to be called a priest. I'm supposed to serve these people. But I think I never then examined like that original claim on my heart to bring others to the Eucharist. I thought the best way to answer that call yeah. was to be a priest. Yeah. And obviously the priests are so uniquely uh, the ones instituted by Christ in the church um, right. to bring the Eucharist to others and confect the Eucharist in the sacraments. Yeah, and so I was brought back to my spiritual directors with two things. I had also I had this experience where I saw the lack of fatherhood, but also I had met someone that I'd never even thought about marriage beforehand, but I had two things to tell my spiritual director. I met someone who's amazing and who's now my wife. And I'd also like had this encounter with, uh, I'd never examined that original call of being bringing the Eucharist to others, help others experience the Eucharist as a lay person. I always thought yeah. the best way to answer that was being a priest. And I, one day God will share w- with me. Yeah. Uh, but I, I chose the next step of yes, uh, and I couldn't discern that in the seminary. And so I stepped out of seminary and um, yeah. began working here at Holy Spirit as a youth minister. So you became a youth minister and you ended up marrying this gal. Yes, I married Talita. Let's go. My wonderful wife. Her name comes from the Gospel of Mark. Talitha Kumi is what Jesus says oh, no way. to the little girl. So little girl is what Talita means. Wow. You um, have to be a little little child. You yep. have to be a little child. Yeah, I can't imagine all that my dad has to do, like looking in retrospect in my life, sharing your story in front of your father on, <laughs> online. I He's know probably your just story. laughing. <laughs> and then my wife wasn't Catholic, so the process of her living out her faith and seeing my faith, and then wanting to join right. in the life of the church, was the greatest. Day. I remember 2019 yeah. amazingly. It was the day my wife entered the church and the day my daughter entered the church. Oh uh, wow! Together at the Easter vigil, it was so, so powerful. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I want to know what advice would you give to anybody on the fence about the Eucharist? What What would you say to anybody who's like, bro, I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure about this whole Eucharist thing. What would you say? Open, open-ended. Well, I had a strange thing happen to me about John starting about 47 through 60 or shall we say? The gospel. Uh, the gospel. John um, 6, you mean? John 6, yeah. Okay. Uh, and this is years ago, and I, I still haven't forgot it. And as I read it and reread it, thought about it, yeah. read it and read it, it appeared to me that the punctuation wasn't correct. Mm. There was too many periods. Lots of statements. And no exclamation points. Right. And I thought it 
thought through that for a bit and well mm. jesus is the lamb and i understand why there's periods here yeah and just allow jesus to speak to you right after that period where you've consumed him mm. and just be there in that presence um, you don't have to say anything he'll do all the talking sure just be silent that's uh I, i'm just so blessed to be able to go more than just once a week it's, yeah it's nice to be able to go more and we're actually often. encouraged oh absolutely yeah absolutely yeah. if you're listening to this uh the previous episode uh we just talked about uh frequent reception of of holy communion frequent and daily it's encouraged yeah yeah cool that's good advice just read john 6 just read john 6 a lot yeah. read it a lot and read. maybe take out those periods and put exclamation points think about it from my perspective yeah yeah for sure it's good advice Little Doug, what would you say? Yeah, for those maybe bewildered about an acceptance of why the Eucharist is all that we say it is, uh, why we get down on our knees at Mass, why we consume it, try to consume it, why we potentially would maybe even say some people aren't yet ready to receive the Eucharist. Right. Um, within it lies the belief of the personhood of Christ in uh I know in class a lot with my seventh graders recently, we've been hammering out how the church is both visible and invisible. And that the great both ends of the church where the the soul and the body go together so uniquely. I remember there at the second chapter of Mark, this paralytic is brought before Jesus. They open up the roof and Jesus forgives sins, but also leaves the man healed. So Jesus who is God and man, cares for both body and soul. And then he leaves us both his gift of body and soul um, for us until he comes again yeah. as this sign, this this down payment. Uh, as someone who has a, a new house and has this down payment, I worked hard to get. Like, I understand. This is the pledge of future glory here. Yeah. Let's transition into the second part of our conversation about sacrosanctum. Conchilium. Conchilium. No chili involved. In this document, but man, is it yummy. Okay, we're going to talk about this apostolic constitution from Vatican II. We're going to talk about Vatican II. What is that? Why does this document even matter? And what's going on here? Okay, well, the reason is, is the church has things to say. The church has things to say. The church has truth to declare for us to come into agreement with, to believe, to assent to, and to just grow in deeper relationship with our Lord. Guys, can you love something that you don't know about? Can you love your favorite pizza without having tasted your favorite pizza? No. No, you cannot. We can only love that which we know. So I love my wife more and more every day because I, I get to know her more and more every day. We grow. We get to, to learn one another more and more. We see sides of one another come out, especially with respect to parenting. Oh my goodness. When my wife, when I just see her like mother our children, it's so beautiful and attractive and I just love her more because I get to see that side. We can only love that which we know and this document, this whole church thing, the church speaking declaratively unto the body, like unto herself is a way in which we can uh, come to know who who we are espoused to, like to know the person of Christ in a more um, intimate and personal way and also to just help us grow as the body. So Vatican II, what is the Vatican II? It is the 21st Ecumenical Council of the Church. Wow, Lee, lots of big words. What does that even mean? So an Ecumenical Council is a gathering of all the bishops, the Catholic bishops from around the world under the headship of the Pope. And this council was actually um, 1962 to 1965, started by Pope John the Twenty-Third, Pope St. John the Twenty-Third, and then uh, concluded under the headship of Pope St. Paul the Sixth, And just yeah. a word on ecumenical there. It's not solely, I think in America we get the connotation of ecumenical being those within other varying Christian faiths. Right. This is ecumenical in the life of the Catholic Church. So all dioceses, bishops, were then asked to come to Vatican City right. for this. So it's a calling of all the Catholic bishops, though they did invite those representatives of other faiths to be there. They were not necessarily active Voting members or contributing members. Right. So like the patriarchs of the East, you know, there's like 23 churches that are actually in communion with the with the Roman, right? 
So what's the point of this? Like, why did this council happen? What's the point? The point is, uh, Pope John, he says in these opening remarks, he says this, the major interest of this council is that the sacred heritage of Christian truth be safeguarded and expounded with greater efficacy. Basically saying, everything that we already come to believe, we need to explain it more so that we can come into a, a deeper agreement with it already. We have to make sure that we're using the right vocabulary and the right terminology um, to speak and be heard by the people of the world today and tomorrow. And he says, uh, what is needed at this present time is a new enthusiasm, a new joy and serenity of mind and the unreserved acceptance by all of the, the entire Christian faith without forfeiting accuracy and precision. Like the point is to not just speak again. Nobody just needs somebody to speak again about something. It's to speak with such accuracy and with such precision that it cuts straight to the heart of the matter and there were 16 documents of memory serves that came out of this council. And for them were these things called apostolic constitutions, which are basically just like, how, how would you explain an apostolic constitution, Doug? I mean, a lot of times here in theology class, we use constitutions as also as we would in the United States Constitution. There is this proclamation of what it is that we believe, but in uniquely in the sense that they were talking about. These were all voted on by the church fathers right. with various editing processes. Right. Um, and then yeah. reiterated and proclaimed for the time. Right. Like we are we are obliged to believe that which is in these documents as... as Definitively, yes. Yeah, as, as doctrine, as dogma of the church. Right. Is that fair to say? I don't want to... I think, yeah, the ascent of faith... Especially those, I work with those who profess their faith. This past weekend at the church, we had someone profess their faith and join the church. Let's go. They, they say, I believe and profess all that the Catholic Church teaches and professes. So this would fall in many ways under that extraordinary magisterium that we, we do yeah. assent to for sure. Let's go. Okay. So about Sacrosanctum Sanctum Concilium. Um, so the purpose of this document is to impart an ever-increasing vigor to the Christian life of the faithful, uh, to adapt more suitably to the needs of our own times, uh, to foster whatever that can promote union among all those who believe in Christ and to strengthen whatever can help call all of mankind into the household of the church, and particularly with respect to the liturgy. The liturgy is the corporate work of the church. It is the the chief most. It is the biggest. Um, all the words come at you. Yeah, yeah, all the words. You know what I'm saying, like, clarifying our terms, clarifying what the Mass is, the dimensions, and then, yeah, maybe tweaking a few things that... Um, yeah, these are the rights of discipline. The Church has the authority yeah. uh, given to them as successors to deal on. We've always had the doctrine passed on about the Eucharist, but then how is right. that lived out in the the weekly, daily expression of the life of the Church? Exactly, exactly. And that's what we're talking about here in this document. Uh, but yeah, the first paragraph, or the first chapter talks about... Um, general principles for the restoration of the liturgy, kind of unpacking some ground rules there. But we want to talk about chapter Where it two. hits the Eucharist. Yes, we're going to lean in. The most sacred mystery of the Holy Eucharist. And this is actually starting, if you're following along, if you're clicking the link in the, in the show notes, this is picking it up at paragraph 47 of this document. Gentlemen, what are some of your greatest hits from our section today? The part about unity... Mm. how we should all be united under this um, memorial that uh, Christ left us of his crucifixion. Right. Uh, that we should all be together uh, understanding it and, and partaking of it. And that's the part that, that's hit me the biggest about this. Um, yeah. It's the Eucharist is the sign of unity, like of the church. Yes, for sure. It's this bond of charity. He says this in actually 47 itself. Um, he, as in Jesus, he did this. He, what did he do? He, when he was betrayed, he instituted the Eucharistic sacrifice of his body and blood. Why? To perpetuate the sacrifice of the cross through the centuries until he should come again. And he entrusted, I love this language, he entrusted to his beloved spouse, the church, a memorial of his death and resurrection. He entrusted the gift of his very self to his bride, us. That's beautiful language. And that's why there's so much love and debate and consternation and uh, gifts when we then talk about the liturgy, because it is everything. Yep. 
Um, I love here Lee, uh, a line that says, uh, the rights of the mass is to be revised in such a way that the intrinsic nature and purpose of its several parts and the connection between them is clearly manifested. Mm. So the gift of who Jesus is in the liturgy of the word and then the gift of himself in the Eucharist are those two hinges of which all mass has come. And as they begin to talk about the simplification of rites, as you read down in Sacrosanctum Concilium, this is chapter two, I think you always have to then put it in perspective in the light of church history. Um, from the Last Supper on to the early Jewish communities who would still meet at the synagogue, but then celebrate the Lord's Supper and read the old s- scriptures. And then right. in time, the rites of the Mass and the liturgy have looked uh, slightly different depending upon the age and in the church governance, but mm-hmm. uh, the essentials, uh, the gift of the sacrament and the Lord has always been the reason for why the rites are studied and changed for, not necessarily changed, but um, uh, I think the word would be enlivened. Yeah. Um, I think coming from the Council of Trent, so this is uh, prior to Vatican Council, that the sec- one of the second largest councils, that has really issued rules on the governance of the whole church body for Roman Catholics had very beautiful uh, regard to liturgy. And this is one of the first undertakings uh, of liturgy from that time. So almost 400 years in the life of the church, this was one of the first time they was a hot man. looked at how we are, are celebrating what the Lord has entrusted to us. Yeah. How are we doing what we're doing? This is the question that they're kind of asking here. Is they're just bringing, they're not there to question they're there to take an, an honest look. Say, look, how can we, what have we been doing and is what we have been doing the best and clearest and most inspired way? I love the, um, okay, I've got like, this whole thing's highlighted, so just hang with me. I'm just, okay, what are, what is Lee's greatest hits, truly? Yeah, so the church, therefore, earnestly desires that, the, that Christ's faithful, when present at this mystery of faith, should not be there as strangers or silent spectators. On the contrary, through a good understanding of the rites and prayers, they should take part in the sacred action, conscious of what they're doing, with devotion and full collaboration. How? How are we to like actually actively take part in a conscious way in this sacred moment? Here's what they say. They should be instructed by God's word and be nourished at the table of the Lord's body. They should give thanks to God by offering the immaculate victim himself, Jesus, not only through the hands of the priest, but also with him. They should also learn to offer themselves. Come on. I just love this. I love this so much. Oh my goodness. And as we try to carve this solemnness, it's important (laughs) in the way we do things. Everything is done intentionally. It's also... These moments in Mass should be reflected on what you've prepared prior to Mass and right. your offering for Mass. There's this gift before the Eucharistic liturgy begins, the offertory, in which we're called not just to give our offering of money, which you see in the money baskets that come around. There's also yeah. when our kids like yep. say, can I hold the money? Here's my money. Like, okay, They hold put on. their dime in. It's so precious. They care yes, so much. That is they important. Care so much. We need to care for the goods of the church. But also, this is our spiritual moment of our spiritual offertory, which we yeah. prepare our hearts to offer in the Eucharist there. Yeah. Like we place our hearts on the altar. We lift up our hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. So like we actually are placing ourselves on the altar with the Lord, sacrificing ourselves, making a gift of our very lives unto God the Father. I don't know. It's just this this total like dying to self, gifting of self unto other as perfectly as possible. We can align our own sacrifice with Christ's eternal sacrifice and further bring about uh, restoration and, and um, bringing the kingdom of God here as it is in heaven. So I don't know. I just, that moment really, any other big greatest hits? As all Catholics are in a certain sense used to the form of maybe on a heightened mass, you see only one, like one of many priests potentially being there. If you ever go to a confirmation, you'll see your, your priests along with your archbishop come to confirm you or right. maybe someone's wedding mass or an archdiocesan event. You see all the mass, this idea of concelebration of priests uniting their own offering with the offering of the presider mm. um, is, is new and it comes about with this document here. Right. Um, so beforehand you would sit in choir and only one priest would give this offering and you, 
literally become in persona Christi. Hmm. But this is, in some sense, a yeah. a gift to the church now of concelebration. Though there's great and deep theology for all these things, and you, you, we don't want to wade too far into all those things. But this is that that kind of that genesis of concelebration, right? And also like English. The reason that masses are celebrated throughout the world in common tongues, aka vernacular languages of the people is because of this document as well. And here it even mentions like pride of place should be given during the the readings and yeah. the petitions yeah. for it to be in their, their languages. Yeah. So I just want to say thanks to our guests. Uh, the Little Dog, Big Dog, thank you for being on today. And thank you to your classes for doing a, a great job. at. They did do a great job. Yeah, just thanks for your witness. Um, Doug, you inspired me since day one, from day one about, you know, just getting into ministry and what ministry could look like. And, um, you know, I, I could list off a bunch of, you know, different accolades for you, but just thank you for your witness. Thank you for your brotherhood. Thank you for your ministry and uh, your apostolate. And Big Doug, you're the man. Thank you. Thanks for keeping HT running. <laughs> and uh, yeah, if you were listening to this and you have not let, if you have not yet left a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please do so. You're going to help us show up higher in search results when people are looking for things pertaining to faith. Jesus is alive. He's about a good work, and it's our job to spread the good word. So thanks for tuning in today. This has been New Mana. God bless you.